Well, good morning, folks. Today, we're continuing with the Gospel of Mark, and I understand that last week, through technical difficulties, you were unable to uh, hear but a minute of the recorded sermon I did while I was down uh, south with my daughter at her, uh, the celebration of, of, uh, yeah, of uh, what was it, what do they call it, a baby shower, that's right, baby shower. <laughs> And uh, it was a wonderful time. It's good to be back with you, though. Uh, and I promise you today, we're not going to double up and uh, preach two sermons. So you can relax those of you who are fearful that that's what was coming. Um, we are continuing in the Gospel of Mark, however. And uh, and I uh, want to remind those of us uh, who have uh, been, been following that we are working through the Gospel of Mark, uh, doing a close reading of the text, uh, you know, bit by bit going through it, paying close attention to the artistry of the author. And uh, one of the things that I think is really important today is remembering uh, who Mark's audience was and what was going on in their lives. I think that's very much germane to our situation today. Um, the, um, the, one of the things that's on my mind is the, the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan now. It's been, you know, filling our news, the despair of the folks, uh, I'm sure, the fear of the folks who are seeking to escape what is coming uh, with regard to the Taliban regime as the American forces depart. Um, and, I, and I want to remind you that that's uh, not an uncommon experience in human history. And in fact, uh, it's not at all um well, it's, it's, I should say it's, it's very similar, I would think, to some, the despair that would have been felt by Mark's audience, uh, particularly to those in Palestine, but also those in Rome. If you remember, uh, this was uh, Mark was writing at a time when uh, the, the, the Jews had uh, had provoked Israel by defeating a small contingent of Roman soldiers who had come uh, and uh, and uh, surprisingly uh, the, the Jews stood up and and, uh, and and defeated them, which then brought about the inevitable, uh, the inevitable, inevitable crushing of uh, the, the Jewish regime, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, et cetera. Now, that hadn't happened yet, as Mark wrote, we don't think, uh, but it was imminent. And that would have been known to the people uh, throughout uh, the Roman province of Palestine. But it would have been also known to the people who were uh, Jewish uh, and Jewish Christians living within the vicinity of Rome. Uh, and there would have been a spirit, we think, of trepidation. It's like there is no avoiding this, uh, uh, these things that are ahead of me. There's nothing I can do to get, get, uh, get, get free of them. Um, so today I want to talk to you about that uh, distraction. So I think that's something that uh, this, this, this message really can speak to us. I was thinking the other day about something I read of a story. You might have seen it in the news of the physician in Alabama who, who wrote poignantly about the folks that uh, she was seeing in the ICU uh, who uh, were who had been uh, anti-vaxxers and uh, and they were they were in the ICU being intubated and they were begging her, please, please, uh, you know, vaccinate me now, vaccinate me now. To which she had to say, it's too late, it's too late. And and, and the the pain that she felt, the pain that they felt in recognizing uh, that. Uh, and 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 as we think about the folks who are going through those types of situations where it feels too late, and 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 they're they're uh, trapped in despair. One of the things we got to remember is that for many of us, uh, when those types of things happen, uh, that's happening because we 
refuse the antidote to our despair, or we get confused and 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 don't uh, don't take the antidote in a timely manner, such that things get in such a situation where it's too late. Um, very often, when we're trapped in despair, we find ourselves in a situation uh, where we get comfortable with our despair, becomes sort of a way of life. In fact, we nurse our woes, we repeat them over and over again, and we relive the things that happened to us again and again by sharing the story with everyone about what's happened to us so that we somehow justify our own verdict on ourselves of being worthy of such things. We justify ourselves, we condemn ourselves, and and we refuse to be comforted. A famous phrase from the Bible uh, where biblical characters have been criticized biblically because of this characteristic of, of being one who refuses to be comforted by grace. And so there's this sense that I'm trapped and, and, and there's this sense that whether it's in my physical condition, I can't do anything about it, so I can only live a dismal life. Or in my work condition, I can't, I, I am simply trapped in this work. I can't uh, move away from it. I can't get a new boss. I can't move up. I can't move sideways. So I am stuck. And sometimes that happens in our family relations. And we have this sense that uh, there is no cause for hope. Uh, but nothing will ever change, and therefore I am stuck. And then sometimes we even feel that, well, someone cursed me. Maybe God has turned God's back on me, uh, or at best, maybe God simply refuses to hear or is incapable of hearing my prayers. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of that. I've thought about that all week as I thought about the very last verse in our pericope today, the verse 29, in which Jesus says to the disciples, this kind of spirit can only come out through prayer. I think that's what we ought to be talking about today as we peruse this, this tale that we're going to be listening, that we listened to today. Now, I know that this story of the transfiguration is very familiar to Episcopalians. We, after all, celebrate the transfiguration. We remember the transfiguration stories twice a year, uh, once during the season we call Epiphany and always once in August, uh, in, in liturgically, that is, we remember that. And one of the things I'm concerned about is, as we talk about it today, is that we, we've heard so much, we stop hearing it. And one of the things that is, uh, I think, rather tragic about this story is that in our revised common lectionary, we actually cut the story in half so that we, I think, are in danger of missing the whole story. So today, uh, uh, Dave read to us the entire story in which, which Mark put together, because it's it's all one cohesive story, you see, verses 2 through 29, and actually the, start, the, the story that we talked about last week. So I want to remind us and have us listen carefully to that whole story. Uh, and, and what I think uh, the, the first point uh, that, that, that we need to remember is that what, what Mark is telling us as we, as we uh, are, are, are disciples awaiting the inevitable uh, destruction of Jerusalem, uh, as we await uh, the pogroms against us Jewish Christians in Rome as we um, await uh, or, or, or give up on, on waiting for God to deliver us from, from whatever is causing our personal despair is that, is that what has happened here, what, what, what has happened in the, in the uh, incarnation of Jesus is the dawn of the messianic age. And so it's important that we go back and remember what uh, you would have heard last week. It's a very familiar story, so I'm only going to allude to it in, in, uh, briefly. 
but uh, but but the story that we're reading today continues this, and it and it is actually uh, fundamental uh, to it. And so, the, what I wanted to uh, share with you is from last week we heard the gospel text that uh, where Jesus um, is explaining for the first time to the disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to be killed. And so, in the in the last verse in the Gospel of Mark, we see that the human one. I mean, the eighth chapter uh, of the Gospel of Mark, we 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 read that the human one must suffer, Jesus says. He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, and by the legal experts, and be killed. And then again, after three days, rise from the dead. In, in our gospel text today, you, you see it beginning with, what's this business about rising from the dead? You know, they're continuing this conversation. The disciples are with Jesus. And it, but, the, but the important point from last week was this part where, where uh, Jesus says, so here's the deal, folks. You have to hear this. This is the way. This is the word I've been, I've been brought to share with you. This is the way of living that, 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 that assures your unity with God, that assures that you are aligned with God and that which you, which you want. And that word is this, that all who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me, because of the good news, will save them. This was a paradox, obviously, and in, 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 uh, uh, this notion that the, the way of Jesus is to say no to yourself, to offer yourself sacrificially and thereby to follow him. And that's the means, that's the way, that's the path to the still waters. That is the path to our salvation. That's the word. That's the way of living that Jesus has come to embody, to teach us, to call us to. And, uh, and Jesus uh, said this, and, and, and the disciples didn't like that word very much. And you, you may remember, this is where Peter says, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, and he goes and he rebukes Jesus. He rebukes Jesus uh, twice, actually. He says, no, 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 no. That ain't going to happen. Not on my watch. You know, you, you, you know you're the Messiah. He, he names him the Messiah for the first time, but he doesn't get what Messiah means. He has this expectation of this triumphant uh, arrival of, of the Messiah who's going to come slay all the dragons. And instead, Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to suffer and be killed. I'm going to be rejected. And, and Jesus sets up a, 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 uh, a crucial test for us. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, will, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. And so we're left with this um, interesting teaching by Jesus. And the first point is that what appears to be true isn't actually true. What appears to be Jesus's defeat, this promise in this case, this, this foreshadowing of Jesus's defeat, what appears to be Jesus's defeat and what appears to be the triumph of, of not just the Jewish elite, but also the triumph of Rome, of Caesar, will actually be Jesus's vindication. It will be God's judgment on Rome and the Jewish elite. And that was the, the point that I, I believe and shared in, in my sermon last week. Uh, uh, and, and, he, and he then turns to the, to the group and, and, and challenges them, saying, you have to choose, folks. 
we must choose which reality we will trust. Either you stand with Jesus, either you walk Jesus's way, which is this way of denying oneself. It's this way of humble, sacrificial service so that others might flourish. That That is the good news. That actually is the way of performing the good news to those who are trapped in despair. Or we will stand ashamed before him and the angels. So that's what that's the way the story ended last week. And it picks up immediately today. And, and uh, the, the, I want to break this down into a couple of, of groups. The first one being we, we hear in this story that is so familiar to all of us, the story of transfiguration. I'm going to move through it fairly quickly, is I believe the first thing that, that you know, Jesus has just said, this is the way. And now we have this, this, this experience where Mark is saying to the foot, is remembering how God said, listen to him. And listen to him about what? Well, and about this word, about what it means to be fully human, the way that we live in and serve. Now, so one of the things I want to be I want to show you here um, is uh, that that Mark in his artistry seems to draw upon some very, very familiar scriptures. Of course, the scriptures to the folks of Mark's time would have not been what we know as uh, the Christian uh, New Testament, but rather would have been the Hebrew scriptures. And so what we read, the very first sentence in, in our reading today, six days later, Jesus took three and uh, he brought them to the top of a very high mountain. I don't want to have us pass this. So there, what you see is this image of Jesus with this group of three who were having privileged access. And, uh, and I, I want to just draw parallels here because it seems that Mark has in mind two different texts that would have been very familiar to his audience, less familiar to us. And the first one is the one that uh, one of the ones that uh, Tom and Mitzi read to us today from from the book of Exodus in the, in the prophet Daniel. The first being the, the, the book of Exodus in which we see very similarly the day that Jesus rather that God called Moses up to Mount Sinai to receive God's word, to receive the word that would be the covenant with God, the Mosaic law. That day, that day, God sent uh, another one, not a, not a trusted three, but a trusted assistant, Joshua, the one whose name is he saves. Uh, Joshua, the word Jesus means Joshua as well, right? I mean, rather the name Jesus is Joshua in Hebrew. Um, so, so, so Moses takes Joshua up there with him and they are on, once again, this high mountain. And uh, only only Moses uh, went near the Lord. The others couldn't come near. And then we, we see uh, this the story of the transfiction, and we see where Jesus, Mark says that he was transformed in front of them, and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than they had uh, been if they had been bleached white. And, uh, and again, that's very evocative of these Old Testament texts, the one that Mitzi uh, or rather, Tom read us uh, from the, the prophet Daniel, again, continuing from our last uh, last week's uh, readings in which uh, the book of Daniel, chapter nine, was was evoked. And here we see the book of Daniel talking about the human one evoked. And it describes this grand vision where you have people standing in fear, just like uh, the people who Mark was addressing uh, uh, might have felt in fear, despair. I'm, I'm trapped in my situation and I'm weak. I'm feeling weak. How do I carry on? And we see that vision uh, that is evoked from the prophet Daniel, where the human one appears and the, uh, Daniel is strengthened by this vision. And what is that vision? It's a, this vision of a man clothed in linen, the, the cloth of martyrs, we, it turns out in the gospel of Mark, but, but just shining with the brilliance, uh, like a, his, you know, his face like a flash 
flash of lightning. And then, and very similarly to that, uh, the, the, the same story about the, the, the giving of the word, the giving of the of Torah, of God's instruction on Mount Sinai, we see the people saw it and experienced it uh, as like, like a blazing fire on top of the mountain. And so Mark seems to be drawing on these very familiar scriptures to speak of parallels. And it's important. So we see here Moses, we see here from the prophet Daniel, the human one who is the Messiah. And then we, we also see uh, Elijah, Elijah presence, because Jesus uh, uh, was 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 there with Elijah and Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. So uh, what are we to make of that? Um, as I've suggested to you, uh, my understanding of this is that uh, Mark is telling us very clearly this time that, uh, that that we are in now. If you want to ask what time is it, the time is that we are in the Messianic age. We are in the age of the kingdom of God in which it has become real. That's where we are today. So if you're confused about what's happening to you, if you're lost and not unsure of what's going on right now, the answer to the question is God is bringing about uh, God's justice throughout the world. And so you should be strong, just as Daniel's uh, story of, of the human one's arrival uh, uh, gave him strength, you too should receive that strength. And so then his disciples, uh, or other Peter, John, and James, asked, asked Jesus so on that Mount of Transfiguration, why do the legal experts say Elijah must come first? So Jesus makes this very clear, what I've just said about the Messianic age, uh, but by, by explaining to them uh, that uh, Elijah must come. Uh, Peter get, gets a little confused, though. Peter can't, can't quite figure out the relationship between uh, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. He reacted this way. He said, teacher, it's good that we're here. So let's make three tabernacles for you. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Uh, and, and, and he's confused. In fact, Mark says he was confused. He didn't understand what was happening. But one of the things that's evident is he didn't quite get yet who Jesus was because he puts him on the same rank as Moses, the giver of the law, on, uh, is Elijah, one of the great prophets, uh, both who uh, were on Mount Sinai. Uh, but, but, he, but he doesn't quite uh, understand that. He wants to somehow create uh, something to protect them, to shelter them. And Jesus doesn't want to be sheltered. Uh, and then we see this wonderful scene that evokes uh, something that we saw at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, in which Jesus was baptized. In this case, on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, uh, we, we hear some words that are very, very similar to what we heard when Jesus was baptized. If you remember when Jesus was baptized in, in verse uh, 9 through 11, we saw that uh, heavens split, you know, a sign of theophany, and the spirit like a dove came down upon Jesus, and there was a voice. And this voice was, in Mark's account, just to Jesus. Only Jesus heard this voice, and the voice was, you, you, Jesus, you are my son whom I dearly love, and you I find happiness. And so, and uh, now uh, at the in the middle of Mark's gospel, we have a very similar uh, language. This is my son, but now it's addressed to Peter, James, and John. This is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Hear his word. What word is the question, right? What am I to hear if I listen to him? And suddenly Moses and Elijah were gone and there was just Jesus. This is my son. So they, so they asked him, what, uh, what, what's the deal here? What's the deal with Elijah? And Jesus gave him an answer. Elijah does come first. That's just as we expected, we Jews expected in all our prophecies. Uh, but Jesus says, uh, why was it written that the human one would, would suffer many things and be rejected? 
And, and Jesus says, Elijah has come, but they did to him what they wanted, just as it was written about him. This is another allusion to, and, to John the baptizer. If you recall throughout the Gospel of Mark in our studies, John the baptizer was seen as, was named by the folks as John the Elijah, as John, as, as Elijah, as the coming of, of Elijah. And whenever Elijah came, the Jewish understanding was that meant the Messianic age. Uh, had dawned, and so what are we to make of this story of the of the uh, of the transfiguration? And my suggestion to you is that is that we're to understand it as Mark's way, poetically, artistically, of saying the arrival of Jesus is the dawn of the messianic age, in which the strong one will come and judge us in our ways, judge the world, and and bring about God's conquering of evil. That day has started. That day has become, and we see that in Christ Jesus. Um, and it also means another thing, because it's it's juxtaposed against this story in which Jesus said the human one will suffer. And Jesus is explained to save your life, you must lose it. It, it also means that the, what the Messiah is teaching us, the word the Messiah has been brought to teach us is, is, is to express, actually, it's God's word from Mount Sinai. You know, it's God's instruction telling us that the way for us to be fully human, the way for us to be with God, the way for us to be saved is through the cross. And, and, and it doesn't mean just through Jesus going to the cross, certainly, but it means our participation in Jesus's going to the cross uh, through our imitating him, through that our imitation of him by losing our lives in order to save it putting down our lives for our brothers and sisters so that they might as well flourish just as Jesus did for us. So that's the word. And we hear from this, in this, this transfiguration story, listen to him. So what gets in the way of that? Well, I want to suggest to you today that what gets in the way of that are our demons. If you recall, demons are those things that get us off the path of the way. The demons are those things that uh, that distort the word. So what we hear is not God's very, very clear word, but a word that causes us to veer away from the still waters that we seek and get into the brambles uh, that uh, give us pain and that continue, cause us to continue to be trapped in feeling that God isn't uh, caring for us. And so we have this other this other story uh, uh, that, that follows immediately upon the these four, Jesus, Peter, John and James descending the mount, just as Jesus and Joshua descended the mountain and found uh, the rest of Israel doing something unexpected. We're going to get to that in a second. We see that Peter, James, John and Jesus uh, uh, return from the mountain and they see a large crowd gathered around the other disciples. And what are they doing? They're arguing with scribes. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? Now, if you've ever come down from a mountaintop experience and you're still filled with the, uh, the beauty, the joy, the awe of that, uh, you can imagine what it must have been like for these four to enter, re-enter the space of the disciples who were caring about uh, you know, um, you know, fighting and arguing. And the answer to the question about what they were arguing about was, well, uh, uh, teacher, uh, I brought my son to you and, uh, and, and he has a spirit that, that makes him mute. He has a spirit that makes him 
deaf and mute. Whenever it, whenever the spirit overpowers him, it throws him into a fit, like an epileptic fit. It foams. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth and, and he stiffens up. So what did I do? I spoke to your disciples to see if they could throw him out. Yeah. You know, sort of like you were gone. So I brought it to your assistants who had been about the countryside uh, doing all sorts of healing. So I brought with the expectation that they would be able to heal him, to throw out this spirit, but they couldn't. And that sets the stage for um, uh, Jesus's teaching. Jesus actually gets very frustrated at what he's found, much like Moses got frustrated with what he found when he came down Mount Sinai. Jesus answered them, you faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? And then he says, bring him to me. So, it's interesting here. Mark doesn't tell us we have to we have to assess who he's upset with. Is he upset with uh, all of the people before him or just his disciples who had left in charge at the mountainside? Who he thought he knew uh, something of, of this word that he had been teaching or not? It's not clear, but we see this disgust that Jesus expresses. So Jesus says, bring him to me. And, the, and, he, and, he, and he inquires about the, 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 you know, what the, the condition of the, of the, of the son is. The father says, uh, yes, his son, how long has this been going on? The father says, well, it's been going on ever since he was a child. It, it's often thrown him into a fire or into water, just trying to kill him. Now, if you can do anything, help us, show us compassion. And Jesus said to him, if you can do anything, sort of like, really? After all you've seen, you're saying, if I can do anything? All things are possible for the one who has faith. And at that, the boy says this, this uh, wonderful response that, uh, that, that I'm sure uh, resonates with all of us. I have faith. Help my lack of faith. I have belief. Help my unbelief. In other words, Jesus, I trust rea your reality. You, you said we have, to, we have to trust in your account versus the account of the elders and the chief priests and of Rome, of, of the, their account of the way the world is. I trust in your account of that word. I trust your reality. Help me to choose that reality. You know, naming how hard it is for us to have our emotions inspire us to take those steps to do that which we know is good for us. You know, sort of like going back to that whole vaxxer story. Uh, you know, we, we get paralyzed and we're not sure we have these competing accounts and we're not quite sure or not brave enough to choose the one that we actually know is the true one, the real one. And so we stand paralyzed and we do nothing and we we get trapped. And so this was the whole this this whole boy's life. Uh, he had been trapped in this face. And I, I just I have to show you this, this text uh, that, that seems so evocative of, for me, which is when, when Moses came down from the mountain, you know, he says, hurry up and go down. Your people, uh, you've just received the law, right? He's got the tablets, you know, hurry up and go down. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt are ruining everything. They've already abandoned the path that I commanded. They made a metal bull calf for themselves. They bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it and declared, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You remember that story, the story of the golden calf? That happened right after Jesus had received, I mean, uh, Moses had received God's instruction. 
And, uh, and Jesus is discussed here to me, and Mark seems to be retelling a, a story that has a very similar plot here. You know, Jesus comes down, there has been this word, listen to him, and what he sees is his disciples incapable of doing that which he had in, equipped them to do. And, uh, and he tells us it has to do uh, with faith. So my suggestion in this second part is that our demons get in the way. They serve the purpose of distracting us, of, of causing us to put our eyes on something that's, you know, I don't know if you've ever been hiking before and you're, you're looking off at something, all of a sudden you veer off the course because you weren't paying attention. Well, that's one of the ways, you know, we can get so focused in life on other things and other things that might be super attractive such that we go off the safe and safe path that leads us to where we were always meant to go. And, uh, and then despair can do the same thing. We can become trapped so that we, so that we, um, we believe that it's simply not safe for us to go uh, this way that we actually know is the right way to go. Uh, or, you know, because we're afraid that there are giants there that are going to destroy us. You know, we fear, we fear that what might happen. We, we get so trapped in, and we forget God's word that says, do not fret. Over and over again, God's word says, do not fret. We forget that word and we and we don't go, we don't go, go do, we don't follow on the path because we're afraid of well, what what if I'm wrong? I have I have I have undoubt, I have unbelief. This is the sin called sloth. We we believe that God is too small to take care of us, so we won't enter the prophet, uh, the, the promised land. That's the sin called sloth, or the category of sin called sloth. Or uh, we have the opposite of that. We have the sin called hubris, in which we believe that we are so strong, you know, we don't, we don't need, uh, we don't need God to be with us, to be walking with us in this. We got this. And so that sort of seems to what happened to the disciples. They were, they were trying to do this healing, but they weren't doing it. Uh, Jesus is going to tell us uh, uh, in the right way. They, they were forgot about the essential presence of God. You know, sometimes we think that what causes us to have success are some magical powers that are invested in us, that it's our strength. And so God is too small. We're too big. And that gets in the way. The sin of hubris. So both of these are ways that we practice our unbelief. There are ways that we abandon and avoid the way of Jesus, this way of sacrificial love. And the problem with this is that they make us impotent. They make us docile. They make us passive. They make us folks who are vulnerable to things just happening to us instead of being fully human, which is to be acting, always acting, moving towards love. When we're fully human, that's what we do. When we're off the path when we're out of faith, then we fail to act in, in that way. So Jesus says to them, this kind of spirit, this kind of spirit that is trapping us, trapping you in this stern state of that feels like it's a, an inevitable, inevitable destruction can only come out through prayer. And I think that's the important lesson for us today. So we see this after Jesus went into a house, his disciples asked him privately, why, why couldn't we throw this spirit out? Why, how come you were able to do it and we couldn't do it? And Jesus answers him, throwing this kind of spirit out requires prayer. Think about that, folks. What does that mean? What is prayer? 
I think that many of us think that prayer uh, is something where we recite a bunch of words over and over again every night, the same recitation, the same script that we've been doing for the last you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, the same formulas. And we recite it and we give our offer up our petitions. We may throw in some thanksgivings and, and that's sort of the deal. And if we do that, God's job is to deliver on that. You know? And you know, what I want to remind us of is Jesus ain't Santa Claus. That's uh, a lot of us have a, an image of God in our heads. I think where, where, where Jesus is just another name for Santa Claus and prayers about giving Santa Claus our our list of, of petitions. And and uh, it's just a recitation of things. And so we what you know, we just go right through it. Uh, and, and it is not intimacy with God. It's not the same as what Jesus is talking about here. And what I want to suggest to you that Mark is telling us is that prayer is a critical reflection. It is a critique. It is a, it is, it's an invitation to God to scan our hearts, to look how we are getting in the way of our own salvation, how we are blocking God's spirit, the power of that spirit through our own fear through our own habit of nursing our woes, through our own habit of being, being uh, uh, you know, refusing to be comforted, you know, you know rooted in, the, in either of these two sins I just mentioned, either hubris or sloth, in which we think either we're too big and don't need God, we don't need God's help, so we just sort of leave God out, or, or God isn't big enough to handle this thing that was before me. It is inevitable. I'm just stuck. Not even God can deliver me, or God just chooses not to deliver me. And so prayer is this intense, very personal struggle to resist those particular demons that lead us, that, that, that tempt us to get off of the path. And, and to get off of what I want to remind us is that cruciform way of Jesus, meaning it, the cruciform, the word cruciform means, uh, you know, the, the cross shaped form of, of the way of Jesus and that cross shaped form of the way of Jesus is offering ourselves in service to others so that they might flourish. And that's how we ourselves participate in Jesus's cross. That's how we become human, which is our goal, right? To be fully human, to be mature humans. And so, so by doing that, when we, when we get on that path, when we stay on that path that begins with the cross and has this expectation of what Jesus has said, this is the messianic age. This is the day of the coming of the Lord. This is the, this is the, the age in which God is conquering evil. This is the time when you are being delivered. When we, when we set our, our compass on that course that's going towards that, uh, that, that, that moment that, that and we're, when we're filled with that expectation of resurrection, of restoration, of liberation, and we and we plot a course from our cross-shaped lives towards that expectation of fulfillment, well, then we are aligning ourselves with God's work, what God is trying to do. We're aligning ourselves with the grain of the universe, because that's the reality of the world. That's what Jesus has taught us. When we get off of that, then we're out of alignment with the grain of the universe, and our efforts are blocked. And that, I think, is why the disciples were unable to, um, to do the healing, the exorcism that Jesus had already equipped them to do. And I think the same is true of us. So I think the question for us, folks, is are you suffering? And, and if 
that's true of you. And I would imagine it's true of all of us at times. If you're trapped in despair, if you feel like things are never going to change, I'm, I'm, I'm simply stuck. You, if you feel that God cannot hear those sighs of yours that are too deep. Uh, well, the problem isn't on God's side. The problem is on your side. Jesus hasn't left you. You've left Jesus. So get back on the trail today. Ask God to reveal how you have allowed despair, how you have allowed these demons to cause you to be misaligned with this grain of the universe that always goes through the cross and always is leading us, always leading us to the resurrection, the restoration that God desires for all of us. If you do that, then you will live. You need to lose your life in order to live it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.